three, two, one. Okay, welcome to SciSection. My name is Luke Peterson, and I am a journalist for the SciSection radio show, broadcasted on the CFMU 93.3 FM radio station. And we are here today with Dr. Bridget Gompers. Thanks for taking the time to meet with me, Dr. Gompers. Thank you for having me. All right, so um, would you mind if we started with you explaining to our audience what you do and what your interests are and what you do at, at UCLA? I'm a physician scientist at UCLA in the David Geffen School of Medicine and the Children's Discovery and Innovation Institute. And as a physician scientist, I see patients in the clinic and I also run a research lab. I also spend a large amount of my time training and mentoring the next generation of scientists and physician scientists. All right. And um, I understand that your, your work or your interests have shifted because of the pandemic, but um, maybe you could spend a bit of time explaining what your priorities were before the pandemic and maybe how those have changed because of it. My lab studies lung repair and regeneration from stem cells and how these processes can go awry and lead to lung diseases. And we've spent the last decade or so developing lung models to study lung stem cells and how they're affected in lung diseases. So when the COVID-19 pandemic struck in March and we realized that the biggest impact of the disease was on the airway and the lungs, several colleagues here at UCLA approached me to ask if we could collaborate to study the effects of the virus on the airways. And this has led to multiple very exciting collaborations now all the way across the country. And we're working with a very talented UCLA virologist, Vaiti Arumagaswamy, who's actually infecting our little lung organoids with live SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. And uh, we were just really lucky that we already had our primary human airway cell models already growing in the lab. So we were able to get started really quickly um, with these viral infections and to start to study COVID-19 in the lungs. All right. And um, I read online on one of your profiles that um, you used prior to the pandemic, you primarily or at least part of what you studied included pulmonary fibrosis. And um, from what I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, that that can result in extensive lung starring. So do you think that that work prepared you for what you're doing right now? Yes, definitely. Um, a lot of the models that we had up and running um, are now applicable. And we're thinking a lot about scarring in the lungs after um, SARS-CoV-2 infection. It's something that we are seeing clinically in patients. Mm -hmm. And um, we're trying to um, investigate how the virus might be inducing this kind of scarring or fibrosis. Okay. Um, are there any other diseases that you studied prior to the pandemic or any other yes. ones? Yes, we're really interested in um, cystic fibrosis mm -hmm. and um, trying to better understand the different cell types in the lungs that could potentially be used for a gene therapeutic approach uh, for cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. And um, for many years, my, lung, my, my lab has been really interested in studying um, the, um, the response of the airways uh, to, to different kinds of injury and how those responses um, could go wrong and how that could lead to precancerous um, um, areas in, 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 in the lung. And so those are the major areas um, that we've been investigating in the lab. Hmm. And um, so that was that that um, those studies were related to those um, to your pursuits before the pandemic. So I, from what I understand, also um, you are screening certain 
therapeutics and drugs um, testing to see whether those are applicable for um, COVID. Is it, um, are you using the same methodologies there to test for the, the um, you know, what could result from those? Yes, we're, um, we're using these stem cell derived lung models. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, what we do is we take primary human cells and we put them on scaffolds and we try to recreate all of the different cell types and the architecture of the lung tissues as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And um, although not, no model is, is really perfect, um, we do think that it um, quite closely represents lung tissue. And so this is um, what we're using now um, for the live viral infections. And um, what we believe is that because um, these primary human cells are placed in an environment that's very similar to what they experience in the body, then it's more more likely that we will find um, different drugs that um, will be um, more likely to work in patients. And so these complicated three-dimensional models, although they're difficult to grow and um, they're pretty expensive models and they take a lot of time, we do think that they're much more um, closely um, aligned to what is, is happening in the actual body. And so we believe that any drugs that we find that, that respond, um, that, that work in our models are more likely to be effective in patients. All right, so um, how, how well developed um, was, uh, were um, 3D models or lung organoids, um, were those well developed before you started to get involved with that work or um, was that more of a novel science? There's been um, a, a real push um, for um, lung organoids um, and um, to differentiate um, lung cells from pluripotent um, stem cells uh, for the last, I'd say, decade or so. There's, there's been a lot of work in this area. So there are a lot of different um, lung models that are out there. And I know that, that many of my colleagues who work in this area have also been really busy working on COVID-19 because these lung models um, each have their strengths and their weaknesses, but they're all really useful for studying um, COVID-19. And how closely do you think um, your current models resemble the actual structures in our lungs? Do you think, um, yeah, what do you think about that? So, so like I said, some are better than others. Um, the lung is actually structurally and functionally quite complex. And there are different regions of the lung that have different structures, different cells that have different functions. And um, they, um, they, they look pretty different. So for example, our upper airways, which includes um, the nasal cavities and sinuses and the the throat and, and the windpipe, the trachea and the bronchi. Um, this is actually, this part of the airway, of, of the lung, the airways are directly in contact with the environment. So they have this really important function for host defense, uh, which means that they protect the body and they do this by generating mucus, which traps the viruses and bacteria and all, you know, the pollution and bad things that we breathe in. And then there are these ciliated cells, uh, which are cells with these hair-like projections and these hairs beat in, in one direction. And so they move the mucus up and out of the body where it can be coughed out or swallowed. So that's a, a really important way of protecting the body. And so those cells are highly specialized for that region. And then there are the cells um, that are found in the lower regions of the lungs. And these are completely different cells. Their main function is actually for gas exchange. And so these cells are very, very spread out 
and they form a very large surface area across which oxygen can diffuse into the body and carbon dioxide can diffuse out. And so, um, you know, all, all groups are modeling these different regions um, in different ways with these highly specialized cells. And so I would say that we're fairly successful, but not completely successful. Um, there are many parts um, where the models are really not equivalent um, to being in, a, in, in, in actual patients. For example, in the, um, in the situation where we're in the lower airways and where there's um, gas exchange, um, what happens there is that the oxygen moves into little capillaries and from there, you know, throughout the blood system in the body. Um, but it's been incredibly difficult to model um, that gas exchange into capillaries because it's very hard um, to, to make those capillaries. So that's one area that, that is lacking. And it's also been really difficult to get inflammatory cells into our models. That's another area um, which is, you know, obviously um, room for improvement. So do you anticipate that your models will become more complex in the future or in the foreseeable future? Yes, we definitely have plans to make our models more complex and to, uh, you know, identify ways in which we can introduce inflammatory cells um, into the airways and um, where we can actually more closely mimic the respiratory membrane where we can actually have functional capillaries in contact uh, with, with the lining epithelial cells. So I think earlier you said that, um, that the approach that your lab is taking or um, the, the methods for which you're using your three-dimensional um, organoids, um, that they're expensive and really difficult to really establish. So um, um, do, you, do you think that the benefits that you are seeing with these three-dimensional models are worth that cost? Or um, does two-dimensional models are more commonly used, right? Yes, two-dimensional um, models are, are very easy to do. It's very easy to grow them in the dish. Yeah. And um, they, they're not very expensive, um, but they don't very closely mimic um, what happens in the body. And often people perform drug screens uh, with cells in two dimension, and they find drugs that work just fine in the dish in, in, in 2D. Um, but when those drugs get to patients, um, those clinical trials fail. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I believe that um, the three-dimensional um, tissue-like structures that, that, that we're growing, um, which much more closely replicate what's actually happening in the body, that if we can find drugs that work in these 3D models, then it's much more likely that they'll be effective in patients. And so in the long run, it's probably you know, more cost effective to screen these three-dimensional models um, because, you know, the, the cost of, of failing uh, with, with drug discovery um, is, is, is obviously a huge cost. So um, that, that's also been a part of your work, right? You, your lab has been screening um, drugs, uh, potential treatments for COVID? Yes, we are um, right now um, trying to set up models um, with a high throughput um, system where we can you know, hopefully screen a few thousand drugs. Um, like I said, it's very um, expensive and difficult to get these 3D models up and running. So we're not able to test hundreds of thousands of drugs, but our hope is to test a few thousand drugs um, for, um, for COVID-19. And our goal there is to test drugs that have already um, seen their way either into the clinic or have been through early clinical trials. So drugs that can be repurposed um, for the clinic. That this may work 
because COVID-19 um, hijacks the, the, the body's um, functions, the cell's functions. And so uh, what um, we think is that some drugs that are already effective, for example, in, in cancer um, could be helpful um, here. And so our, our plan is to try and repurpose drugs that have already been through some safety testing and have been found to be safe because we believe this is a much quicker way to get to the clinic. So have you been screening them for potential long-term results or consequences so um, it, do you have to be patient about the whole process or how how much pressure do you think you are facing or the scientific community in general is facing to get results out quickly obviously you know we'd like to find <laughs> therapies um you know rapidly um, but um, like I said before um, we have to make sure that um, the screens are done appropriately and um, it, it would be um, worse if we didn't run um, really um, rigorous tests to make sure that any drugs that we think would be effective in the clinic are, are really soundly screened for and so you know we have to weigh those up against each other there are certainly many groups around the globe that are rushing to find new therapies and vaccines um, so um, there, there is a very large um, push right now um, in, in this area hmm. so can you describe the general methods that you use to screen them or um what um what you look for or like what the indicators are that there might be a drug that shouldn't be used as a therapy so we've got uh, we've developed several readouts to detect whether um, a drug in a drug screen is likely to be effective or not at treating SARS-CoV-2 viral infection mm -hmm. and uh, we measure things like the number of dead cells and the number of infected cells after live virus infection Mm -hmm. And then we call that the primary screen. And once we've um, found some hit compounds that seem to work well um, in the 3D screen, then we go on and do a secondary screen. And here we're testing things like whether the compound is effective at a, at a low dose and whether it's effective across multiple um, different lung organoids and especially whether it's effective on cells that are developed from different people, um, from multiple races and ethnicities. So we want to really uh, get a sense of how reproducible that drug effect is um, in, in these 3D models. And um, really our priority is testing drugs that are already known for other indications and have been through these early clinical testing um, to make sure that they have no bad side effects and that they'll be well tolerated. All right. And as it relates to the virus itself, um, ha have you found um, that there are elements of it that are remarkable or that compared to other diseases that you've worked with before? What we've found is that um, the virus, um, when it tries to infect our three-dimensional organoids, um, it actually has a, a, a I would say, um, it's not um, a really simple infection. Um, it seems that our three-dimensional tissues have a pretty good immune response to the virus. And most of the time, we have, we see very little virus viral infection, sometimes just in the order of about 5 to 10% um, percent of infection. Um, but we've done things like expose our little lung um, 
3D organoid models to cigarette smoke. And in that situation, we actually reduce the immune response. And then we see a lot more cells being infected by the virus. So that's been a really interesting um, twist that, that I wasn't expecting, um, was that the virus really um, responds very well um, to the host immune system just within those epithelial lining cells of the airways. All right. Um, is there anything else that you think would be good for people my age or students or uh, science-minded students to know about what your work um, entails and um, just do you have anything that you think we should prioritize while considering the virus or anything like that? I think the most important thing is that uh, these three-dimensional lung organoid models are actually really useful um, for studying um, the live viral infection and there's quite a lot that we can learn um, from these models. Obviously a big priority is to try and use them for drug discovery, um, but these models can also be used to test specific questions, for example, like our cigarette smoke environmental exposure question um, or um, you know, other kinds of um, things that might be impacting the virus. And it seems like these models could also be useful um, for testing across multiple different people. Um, for example, even thinking about high risk groups uh, like older age or diabetes or obesity, uh, we, we're certainly able to get primary lung cells from these different patient demographics um, for testing. So I think these models are, are broadly very useful um, for studying um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and um, how um, it, it's infecting the lungs and, and the responses that are happening in the lungs. Um, but of course, there are some downsides um, to the model. Um, most specifically, I think the fact that we don't have inflammatory cells in the model right now, and the inflammatory component is obviously very important in SARS-CoV-2 infection. And this is something that, that I think we need to, to work towards is to figure out how to include that component. Mm -hmm. um, but, I am, but I am hopeful um, that these three models will be improved over the future and will become more and more useful not just for studying SARS-CoV-2 and viral infections but potentially for other lung diseases as well. Okay that's it for this week of Science Action. Make sure to check our podcast available on global platforms for our latest interviews and I'll talk to you later.